0: So the, hello Martin yeah. oh, have
1: to? Uh, Either participate <laughs> Or go away I see Will you drink that quietly Sorry listeners
0: this, uh, so did, did I knew I...
1: I should have got a divorce Before doing this interview <laughs> Just for a bit of peace
0: Welcome back to Podcast Junkies Episode 54 In case you missed it last week spoke to Rob Greenlee, who's the head of content for Spreaker and someone that I like to call a podcast ambassador. He's been involved in and out of podcasting for the better part of 10 years and with a big technology background uh, going back before that as well. So that was a really entertaining conversation. We covered obviously uh, the growth of podcasting and some hobbies that he has as well and made for a really interesting conversation. And it's really a great uh, primer if you don't know a lot about the history of podcasting and you just wanted to get to know Rob a little bit more. So I, I highly encourage you to check that out. In case you're new to the show, this is Podcast Junkies, a.k.a. The Podcaster's Voice. We like to interview fascinating, entertaining, fun, engaging podcasters from all around the podcasting universe and get them in for a candid and casual conversation and figure out something about them that you might not know and have you get to know them a little bit more than maybe you do already from just their show. So i like to talk to folks who've been doing it for some time or who've been experiencing a bit of popularity lately. So I'm always on the lookout for folks from a wide range of shows, Uh, not only business shows, but uh, I'm looking into storytelling and folks who've covered history podcasts and always looking to get engaged with podcasters of all kinds. This episode is brought to you by Podfly. Now, I know the dream of most podcasters when their episode is done recording is to simply get up and go have a fantastic day and not have to think about their episode because they know that it's in trusted hands. I imagine somewhat uh, similar to how Howard Stern feels every time he finishes his episode. So for me, I wanted that same feeling, and that's why I went with the folks at Podfly. I've established a relationship with them over several months now and I'm happy to, to report back to you guys that they're really, really good at what they do. They're good friends and they're a trusted resource for this sort of stuff. So if you need help with your podcast production from mastering to ensuring that both you and your guest sound fantastic to preparing transcriptions and show notes and tweetables and all the cool stuff that make up a fantastic show notes page and allow your podcast to be much more engaging than just having uh, a couple of lines out there, then I suggest you give them a shot. And what they've actually done is create a super special, like Narnia type secret link for you guys. And it's at podfly.net slash podcast junkies. So if you're interested in checking them out, and I highly encourage you to do so because you'd be supporting the show, and how fantastic would that be, then head on over to podfly.net slash podcastjunkies and tell them Harry sent you by virtue of the info you type into that uh, box and uh, enjoy Narnia. Today's guest is Helen Zaltzman of The Illusionist, which is part of the Radiotopia family and someone that I am... Ridiculously happy to have had on my show. <laughs> I'm, uh, I was tu- turned onto the show. I think as a result of browsing some of the shows on Radiotopia and obviously anything that they do is super stellar from a production value perspective. And after listening to a couple of shows of Helen's, I realized that she's just a quirky personality. She's, she's got a fantastic sense of humor. And I was just dying for the opportunity to speak to her. And lo and behold, I was able to make that happen. And I'm really happy that it worked out. She's in the UK, so the timing was a bit challenging. But after a couple of back and forths, we were able to have this really, really funny uh, conversation about all things. Radiotopia, Roman Mars, uh, Wordplay, um, Boggle. <laughs> we, we really uh, run the gamut. And we've got a guest appearance by her husband, Martin. Um, in several, several portions of the show, which I think you'll find quite entertaining. My conversation with Helen Tossman. Yeah, well, It's an honor to have you on, Helen. I'm, I'm a fan of the podcast and I've been expanding uh, the type of folks I speak to because initially mm-hmm. I, was, I jumped in the entrepreneurial realm. And oh, how was that for you? To, uh, some parts good, some parts icky.
1: <laughs> I'm kind of fascinated by them. Because it's such a different world to where I come from, and also because I'm so hopelessly bad at business and making money, that they're pretty much the polar opposite people to me, and I feel like I'd have a lot to learn from them, but I'm incapable of learning it.
0: Well, it's funny because some people have a really um, strong reaction to the term online marketing, and it, it, it mm. it's sort of like a this this these. Uh, feeling in their, their, their creepy, creepy crawly feeling in their skin
1: <laughs> is it the online or the marketing that you think upsets them
0: the marketing the always having something to sell and download my pdf and check out my website and mm. a- a- act now and, and but wait there's more you know <laughs>
1: <laughs> it must work and, on some people because otherwise why are they doing it
0: well i mean you've probably heard of a couple who are ridiculously successful Um, And I think they jumped in a, in at a time when it was right place, right time, right mindsets, um, and they pulled it off. And obviously they had a runway to start with, so uh, that's always helpful. Uh, A a, a cash runway. So I think cash um, runway.
1: Where do we get cash runways? (laughs) What's the matter with us? We've chosen the wrong vehicles.
0: I think you have to rob a bank, and then, and and then, well, then you got to hijack an airplane.
1: Okay, it's a lot of effort.
0: And then you've got to, like, throw the money outside of the airplane.
1: In a suitcase or a barrel?
0: No, like, just in singles.
1: Well, that's really impractical, because you're never going to be able to gather all that money up. Especially if it's in singles. I mean, have I not thought this plan through at all? It should have at least got 50s. But then no one will accept them in a shop, will they? Ah, it's, it's too much trouble to be an entrepreneur. I've newfound Ambrose for that. <laughs> they've chosen a very hard life.
0: I always laugh at those movies where they throw the money out for apparently like all the poor people in the village. Like half of the money must just sit in trees and like.
1: Yeah. Eat. Puddles.
0: Yeah. And yeah. It's not a very good way of wealth distribution.
1: No. Coins would be more practical. But I guess no, in the States, that's limiting, isn't it?
0: You'd probably kill people.
1: It's a risk worth taking. If you're going to make it rain, <laughs> make it rain terror.
0: <laughs> I listened to the the episode where you had the ten years of podcasting.
1: Oh yes,
0: a, you were in the uh, an Apple store. I think Apple sponsored the event.
1: Yes, uh, they they got us in to their bright white spaces to talk about podcasting. But this was pre serial, which meant fewer yes. people were interested. So it's like it really feels like a different world having done that a mere year ago. <laughs>
0: Yeah, because you were saying, well, what's the biggest podcast now? And I think uh, you were talking about Keith and the Girl. And um, what I thought was interesting was the real difference in how you were commenting on apparently how easy it is for uh, fans in the states to become rabid, diehard listeners. And I think you referenced the fact that the Keith and the List, Keith and the Girl fans even tattooed like the logo on themselves.
1: They are next level. <laughs> there was one. They sent sh- they sent me a video of one of their fans getting their logo branded onto his side. And it was absolutely harrowing. And apparently it took two months to heal because whenever you move, all the scabs break. And uh, I'm just so glad that most of our fans don't like us that much. That's too much like. But Um, you
0: have a a really awesome logo with the illusionist. And I can just totally see that on someone's (laughs) left arm.
1: People would be welcome. They can start sending it to me. Um, Presumably, letters as well. They've probably got those ready done in the branding iron range, so it wouldn't be that hard. Well, it could be a
0: sort of a nod to the illusionist, and where they they can just take the the letters, the cube the cube letters or the letter pieces, and make their name out of it. And yes, still
1: in- <laughs> that would be a good twofer, wouldn't it? Because if you went off the illusionist, you'd still have a tattoo that was quite respectable and not too tied to the, <laughs> the illusionist. If you really like Boggle, it's a good tattoo to have. But Did you grow- uh, Sorry, carry on. Did you... G- <laughs> I'm so rude. I'm, 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 I'm,
0: no, uh, I'm warning you, this is going off uh, in, in several different uh, paths. So, Oh, I don't I'm know ready. What, I mean, I I'm deranged
1: because I've been working for 15 hours at this point. <laughs> Who knows is what's going to happen?
0: Did you grow up playing Boggle?
1: No, um, we didn't play that many games in my house by the time I arrived in the family because... Um, I have two brothers who are five and a half and seven and a half years older than me uh, because I was a mistake. And um, (laughs) they fought so much that we very rarely played competitive games. And we had a boggle set and because I was on my own a lot, because they were so much older than me and had rather different life interests. I was fascinated by the boggle set, but I had no no idea what it did until I was in my 20s. And uh, I started playing a lot with my friend Josie to the extent that she actually set up a World Boggle Championship, which I won one year um and uh, i also made a giant inflatable boggle set um to play on stage boggle which never quite worked as a difficult thing to do with a few hundred people at a time or maybe it was then but maybe now the world's ready for it nine years since i made that thing
0: everything comes and goes around in cycles right
1: absolutely you can see for instance the changing texture in reality television is kind of back to something more like what it was uh
0: Oh, In so it went from shitty, sh- shitty to shittier to shittiest. And now, it's back, <laughs> now it's back to just shit. It's
1: just different shades of uh, different shades of brown.
0: Uh, I guess you now, you now know you can speak freely on this show as well.
1: That's lovely to know. I, I uh, felt, it will happen.
0: I felt like when you were telling that story, that would have been a great time for your husband to play some violin.
1: About yeah. the- <laughs> What a failure. He hasn't mastered the violin yet, but he does have a bow so he could play a guitar like a violin. Now yeah. he's looking inquisitively. It's too late, Martin. The time has gone. This would, this would
0: be this would be a new uh, podcast format. It would be live, mixed live on the air, sort of like a jam session, a podcast yeah. jam session.
1: That will probably be a thing that happens, won't it?
0: So, was the onstage boggle like live, the inflatable one, like a life size? I'm thinking, like, an, I'm, I'm imagining like Twister, how everyone is just moving around on the board. The, was yeah. the Bible just-
1: well, it's it's just it's it's just the cubes, not the board. So you have to prepare it beforehand. Um it takes quite a long time to inflate as well, because there's 16 things <laughs> to inflate. It's a lot of lungs. And then you have to tie them together so that uh, they don't fall apart when you put it upright on stage so everyone can see. Uh so there's an element of unspontaneity. Um, and then there's an element of just a stage show not working. <laughs> but i do think if i if i start doing any kind of illusionist live events then i'll get out the giant boggle and i'll put it in the room and i'm like oh brilliant it's um it's about four or five feet i guess when it's put together across the cubes are just over a foot in each direction so i don't know if you're expecting giant for it to be like the size of a house then you'll be disappointed but the and size you, and- of a short person fine
0: <laughs> do you have pictures of it
1: have a really terrible picture of it on stage at a music festival in 2006 i think if you go to uh slash boggle i think there'll be that terrible picture i think that's the url if not i'll change it so it's the right url
0: <laughs> yeah the fact that you have a uh a folder just for boggle stuff is pretty cool it Comes, it must come in handy
1: well i i like to refer back to it to some uh, you know those points in life where you feel like everything's spinning out of control and you think no i did do something once <laughs> i've achieved something once
0: do you not feel like uh you're at that point now with the, with the success of the illusionist
1: i actually feel incredible now This is the i think the best i've ever felt about anything i've ever made which is not to say it's the best thing i've ever made because i did make a really good doll of robert plant once as a you know robert plant from led zeppelin as yeah. a, a, a friend's mum's present she's obsessed with robert plant And uh, that was a really good doll. And I was kind of underemployed at the time. So I did spend like a week on it because I didn't have enough other stuff to do. But it was very good. But I feel like The Illusionist is pretty close to the Robert Plant doll. But I still feel like um, I'm a novice at it. I'm a novice at my own show. And I've been a podcaster for nearly nine years. And I still feel that way. Um, So it's been very interesting learning how to make it. But I'm just conscious that because it's still a pretty new show it could change a lot and this time next year I might be looking back at it and thinking god oh, you idiot you thought you'd cracked it then look at you now and then the year after that I'll be like god oh, you were such an idiot last year too great
0: yeah it's the thing that all pot i mean i not having the background in radio but just as from a podcasting perspective everyone hates their first episode everyone hates their the 10th sounds better than the first and the 50th yeah. sounds better than the 10th and i think we're just still still nascent i know it's 10 years but i think i feel like um we're learning as we go and we're getting better as we go.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think this year, particularly, a lot of the new shows that have started have started wanting to be really quite artistically ambitious. I'm not counting mine gonna other people's <laughs> shows um, where someone who'd never made a podcast before probably wouldn't think, oh, it'll just be me and a friend and we'll mic ourselves up and we'll we'll do like Marin, but without the famous guests. Um, <laughs> they're like, they've got a theory and they're making these beautiful soundscapes and stuff. Obviously, still, most of the podcasts are going to be kind of unlistenable but um uh that feels like a trend i have discerned from this year so that's that is very good and and of course i do make a show which is me and a friend miking ourselves up but answer, um answer me this answer me this. yeah but at least we do edit it because we know that no one needs to hear what we say unedited
0: <laughs> what was the the moment because I, I, I've i heard a couple of interviews where you've talked about how Antony Me This started to become popular. It started mm-hmm. in 2007?
1: Yeah, January the 2nd, 2007 was the first one. I don't know why I insist on saying the date. It's in case you <laughs> thought I was a latecomer who started in November 2007.
0: <laughs> no, you're OG, as they say here.
1: <laughs> really? Because I feel like I'm M, like middle guard or something. It felt like we were quite late onto the scene when we started. Because, of course, people had been effectively podcasting before... Apple added podcasts in 2005 and before the word was invented in 2004 there were still people doing it but there wasn't the description and uh, therefore harder to to really define it.
0: And so where was the 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 um, the genesis of the of answer me this just mm. coming out coming out of your 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 time spent writing comedy?
1: Uh no well at the time what was I doing god I've been freelance for a long time so I've had a lot of jobs and um and at the time my friend ollie he was a friend of mine from university and we used to do student radio and um then a few years passed and we both kind of wanted to work in radio and that wasn't really happening he was working as a researcher on a tv show and i was doing various things so i'd done a bit of um fairly lowly tv work um like one job i had was scouting people's homes for a home makeover show <laughs> um and had a tiny bit of radio comedy work, but really the tiniest. And it had not really commuted into anything um, sustainable. And I was mainly a proofreader and giant boggle maker. And um, and so it was just the idea that we could make audio ourselves and then immediately get a radio career out of having done it, which of course is not how it works. And now I'm so happy that that's not how it works because I, I just can't imagine any medium suiting me better than podcasting does. But it wasn't actually a viable career option until eight years into doing it.
0: And did you say you had, you did did have some experience then in radio?
1: No, no, we've done a a very small number of student radio shows, which was turning up and not knowing where to put the faders and therefore like being on silent for minutes on end. Um, So maybe four shows. Um, So no practical experience at all, like none in actually recording or just talking off the cuff and editing. I taught myself, I'd never run a website before either. So that was another thing. And there was less guidance then. And it was really infernal. Just the tech was terrible then. <laughs> it was horrible.
0: And has uh, Martin always been the, the the special third guest?
1: Yeah, well, Martin, uh, who's my husband, he um, was already in possession of quite a lot of recording equipment because he'd been recording music in our home. And um, Ollie and I thought, well, we could just ask Martin then to do the stuff we don't understand. we is <laughs> just setting up mics and things. And then we thought, well, we'd better mic him up as well because otherwise he'll just be muttering in the background so you might as well be able to hear him and obviously people like him more than us so that backfired He's <laughs> well there's a, to himself now
0: <laughs> i i tend to like like to mention other um, specific episodes and podcasts to the listener but only with enough information that'll entice them to go listen so mm. there's a certain there's a certain aspect to to martin that uh is is different and not your not what your, what a typical co-host would sound like. I mean, no, we'll leave it we'll leave he, it at that.
1: He was born with a beard. That's a <laughs> atypical thing about Martin. You can really hear it on mic.
0: Yeah. You to do a lot of work to edit that out.
1: <laughs> it's just this baby rustling. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um so when what was the moment with answer me this when you thought for a moment that you might have something that was Going to be a little bit more than just a hobby.
1: Mm. I think it was probably after a year, and it had been growing pretty steadily during that year. And then after a year, we had iTunes promotion, and so the audience um, just blew up, and that was really exciting. And we got other jobs off the back of it. So we we started going on um, TV shows to talk about podcasting and radio shows, that like we got quite a lot of regular work off the back of that. Um, so I suppose. I suppose then and then it got nominated for some quite major radio awards in this country, the Radio Academy Awards um, I which... like how you just
0: switched into your Radio Academy Awards <laughs> voice there, so.
1: Not one but two but three times we were nominated um, Is that how you,
0: you could actually I know people that uh, go out of their way to introduce themselves, I'm three time nominated uh, podcast three time nominated uh, Academy <laughs> podcast host Helen Salzman, in Yeah, case you're wondering.
1: Well I carry it everywhere with me <laughs> it's really impractical because it's very heavy and it's got sharp corners um but um that just meant that the radio industry suddenly felt like we were a bit more legitimate doing this thing they'd never heard of and just they assumed it was shit and pointless or just they assumed it was completely different to people talking on radio they didn't really understand that the distribution didn't really affect that the content is not dissimilar um they're coming around to it now but there's still a lot of suspicion i feel um, but no, I don't introduce myself as multiple award-winning podcaster unless someone is disrespecting me and then maybe I'll drop that into the conversation, <laughs> but it's still not very cool because the radio Academy Awards, uh, were shut down last year. So <laughs> they don't really have the prestige now. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I've still got the trophy. So,
0: and so at the, t- at the time that that's happening, um, and you also wrote a, a companion book, I think.
1: Yes, um, that was in 2010. It felt like 2010 was a very good year for us because um, we it was the second time we were nominated for the awards that don't exist anymore and we won a silver that year. And we got the book deal and the book was published by the publishing company that has Silver Plath's stuff and T.S. Eliot set it up. And they said, if you sign with us, you can see T.S. Eliot's table. <laughs> and um, and I don't think they really knew what they were getting into. I think they just liked the show and therefore wanted to do it. And they had a novel that was paying for all of the other books to fail that year. So it was okay. So that was an amazing experience, really fun. And also Britain's inland tourist agency, Visit Britain, paid for us to go on a uh, vacation around Britain and film it. And then, obviously that is a brilliant job, being paid to go on vacation. That's so, nice. so until this year, it felt like 2010 was when my career peaked. And everything after that was a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: I, I wonder, is there a, a, an aspect to um, the BBC and, and folks who have been in that industry for decades um, looking down on new podcasters and not maybe not them ser- taking them seriously when it first started?
1: Yes, I think a lot of them still don't take it seriously. And I think it's because a lot of them don't understand it and don't have to understand it uh but there's been the BBC is is kind of under fire all the time and the fire has been particularly heavy this year um but it's the first time I've really sensed that a lot of people who've been working there for maybe 20 more years are thinking I need a plan B and maybe podcasting could be that plan B but we still haven't cracked the financial aspect in Britain at all and all my money is coming from the USA so um <laughs> there's a, still a way to go to actually making it a sustainable profession in Britain But I think the thing is, like when you work in the BBC until now, anyway, your job has been very safe, so you haven't really had to do the hustle that being a podcaster involves, where you have to kind of convince people every time that they should listen to your show rather than do something else on the internet. Um, Even though they do work very hard, there's some incredibly talented people at the BBC. Um, It's a slightly, it's a different world, Um, maybe a more comfortable world. But uh, maybe not as yeah. exciting.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I think uh, it was Chris Skinner on, when you had that ten years on the radio that was mm. talking about how podcasting is cutting the broadcaster out and it's sort of putting mm. the the, the person the personality directly in touch with their audience. Which yes. which probably which probably scares some people.
1: It does, but then they look at the numbers and the numbers seem insignificant when you, you've got something like Serial, which has had what now about eight million downloads and episodes. There are radio yeah. shows on in the middle of the afternoon here that get more than that per day. So, and that's a, a smaller population. So they're they're not numerically they don't have cause to panic. But I think they're just worried that there's a whole generation growing up that have not formed the radio habit, and so in once all of the people die that are diehard radio <laughs> listeners, then then they're going to be stuck.
0: That that sounds like it's probably just going to show up in someone's five to ten year marketing plan
1: yeah well 30 year marketing plan when all these people are dead but also a lot of the people who who do not want to have to worry about it they're probably thinking well by the time all the audience is dead i'll have retired so it doesn't matter I don't need to think about it
0: the easiest way to i know sometimes for myself the easiest way to gauge how far it's come at least within my circle is the more you mention it, the more the more or or the less people scratch their heads yeah. when you actually expl- explain or try to explain what it is that you do.
1: Yeah, my mom listens to podcasts now, and uh, she's sixty-seven, so that that's filtering through. But yes, it feels like a while since I've had to say what a podcast is, and be like, oh, it's like a radio show but on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> so that's refreshing. Um, but it and- was amazing. Like I did the radio interview a few months ago, um, and it was like being interviewed early in my podcasting career because not only did he not know what serial is and every interview i've done the last year they've been like well cereal," serial, serial. And i was like oh why don't you interview cereal?" <laughs> um but everyone apart from you of course um but he'd not only not heard of that he'd not heard of this american life and i was like oh, wow this is like finding a part of the world that no one's ever stepped on before
0: <laughs> well it's funny because there's just i mean i since obviously since you've been doing it such a long time you you know probably better than i do that uh there's a lot of different paths within the podcasting world mm. like i was we were talking about the entrepreneurial there's the storytelling there's the yeah. there's the people doing non-fiction um and people doing a radio type show um a serialized type yep. show. <laughs> and and it seems like there's room for everyone and there's probably a format um still obviously that's the comedy shows interview based but there's probably formats that we just haven't thought of yes um, that you could apply to the to to podcasting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm very excited by the possibilities what other people might come up with because I don't think I have a particularly inventive sensibility um but I would be very enthused to see what people who do uh, pull out of their brains and give me I'm, to listen to.
0: I'm dying to, I have this ri- ride sharing, which is the Ubers and the lifts uh ride sharing podcast where I just, every time I get picked up, I, I whip out a microphone and I just ask yes. them why they're, why they're, uh, why they're driving a, a lift?" And they usually have two good stories that, and mm-hmm. I, I, I keep, um, you know, being upset that i I don't have the mic at the times when i'm i'm talking to the cab driver or the lift driver from nigeria who talks about how he brought his family over and he's actually like uh like um a data engineer and he he has to do this and his family and he talks about the challenges he had of his kids and how they're they speak better english now than he does and it's fascinating because sometimes i usually get taken to the airport so i get 45 minutes with these people and I'm a sucker for a good story.
1: Well, the taxi chat here as well in London uh, is very very strong and and most of the drivers I've had as well have not been born in Britain and so they might be extremely overqualified for the job. But there was one who I used to I used to ride with quite regularly and he would he knew everything about history ever. He was the, so well informed but he was from Libya. He knew everything about all European history. Um and he was so smart, but he also told me that he'd broken up with his wife Over the correct way to open a tin of tomatoes. Wow. I don't know what the correct way is. It's not come (laughs) up in my household and maybe it shouldn't just for the safety of my marriage. Um, So there's a lot of things like that.
0: (laughs) Who's in charge of uh, opening the can in your household?
1: Uh, I don't want to cast dispersions on my uh, husband's masculinity, but I suppose whoever requires the contents at the time, which is more likely to be me because he can't find anything in the kitchen because it's extremely disorganized.
0: Gotcha. Yes, uh, those uh, I've heard really good things about uh, English cab drivers. They apparently mm. have to learn the most complicated set of streets, probably yep. in anywhere in the world. And, and yes,
1: uh, it's it's unbelievable because it's not only a very complicated city to master, London, because it's very very sprawling and because of the different ages of of construction that have been mashed together, um, it's harder to learn than a block system. Um, but also the examination that they undergo, there's like six or eight different tests and, and they're really really hard so hard and now the idea that they might just be replaced by satnav is a real kick in the nuts i think
0: i've heard even studies uh that have measured their frontal hippocampus? Cor- yeah hippocampus yeah. or something Hipp- yeah
1: i'm I not sure I- that those have been verified though because i also read things that suggested those studies which i was pretty excited about uh and not legit but I'd like to believe it. Cab drivers have got bigger hippocampuses. They do? Yeah, they do. I know we've Okay. No, we've got it here. C- research confirmed accurate. Cab drivers have bigger hippocampuses. <laughs> See? Which part of the brain is distance, which is as the crow flies distance. Thanks, Martin. Say it on mic next time if you're going to speak. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: think you'll make like. Hey. You, you, I'll, I'll have to put them in the show notes now.
1: Oh, no. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, um... So then you're doing um, Answer Me This. Yep. And, and it's, now it's 2014 when you start The Illusionist?
1: Uh, the Illusionist started January 2015. So yeah, I got, got uh, incorporated into Radiotopia during their uh, fall 2014 Kickstarter campaign as a stretch goal. Um, so what
0: so you were you were on you were the initial one of the initial podcasts on board radiotopia uh
1: roman approached me because he's a really big fan of me this uh for reasons best known to him and uh so we talked about it um a couple of years ago late 2013 he's like i'm not sure what it is but here's the deal and i was like that sounds like a good deal um <laughs> and then um, th- uh, he was doing it with prx and i think they wanted things to be more stories so once the initial lineup came out i was like okay i can totally understand why uh uh why it's not including Answer me this uh, which is comedy and very different to what is on there but cuz i knew he was still interested he was overstaying with me last summer and um uh so uh because he was jet lagged and vulnerable i pitched him uh, a show idea that i had and he's <laughs> like oh, okay let me see and then um came back and he's like yeah i think it's go we got you a years worth of funding and i was like what this <laughs> is casual <laughs> good
0: so the hello martin <laughs> Yeah.
1: either participate <laughs> or go away <laughs> i see will you drink that quietly sorry listeners
0: this, uh, so i knew i should've I...
1: got a divorce before doing this interview <laughs> just for a bit of peace
0: did i hear you correctly that he stayed with you roman
1: yeah he he was okay. over in um in london last summer and we didn't know each other that well <laughs> we'd met like twice um but yeah he came to stay in our spare room he had um some gigs over in uh, the uk and so this um, is
0: this this is the part of the interview where i ask if he has any strange food requests
1: he didn't eat our food he uh <laughs> he would occasionally go to the shop around the corner and buy tiny baguettes and just eat them dry uh with coke zero i think he was very suspicious or, or maybe he was just too polite so even though we had bread and lots of things he was uh not necessarily keen we took him out <laughs> for a fancy tea though um, to celebrate the fourth birthday of ninety nine percent invisible. Okay. Uh, so so that was. I don't know. I feel like when when someone hasn't been to England before, give them that kind of ridiculous English experience.
0: So uh, that's funny. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's I went to my first time there. It it really takes some getting used to in terms of the food yeah. and, and and the things, especially if you have a routine for breakfast. I'm a big. I need my eggs. I need my toast. I need my you know. Ideally, some bacon and and strong coffee. We have those three
1: things. We have also the coffee, which varies more than it does in the States, I think.
0: Yeah. But I think, uh, yeah, there's just certain dishes that take some getting used to.
1: Our bacon is different as well. That could prove upsetting to you. It it is. (laughs) Your sausage, I mean, that is is weird. Patties, what? We don't have those here. That's a mistake.
0: (laughs) And you actually have to be very clear because blood sausage is something...
1: Yes, Very a sausage made of blood. Lovely yeah. dude. People should give it a try. I'm a big fan. If you're so gonna par- eat a sausage which is made out of the worst things, then you can't you can't shy away from blood sausage. Come on.
0: So if I ask this if I'm hearing you correctly, you wowed him with your English baguettes and your English version of, of the Coke Zero to the point that he was so wowed that he agreed that your show was going to be a monster hit.
1: That's the, that's the secret. Yeah. Um, I, to be honest, I think if anything, the baguettes probably hindered it and he couldn't get mountain Dew over here, which was his uh, poison of choice. Um, but I don't, I think he was keen still to work with me. And I said, I've got this idea for a show and it's based like your show, but for language instead of objects. And uh, he already likes his show. So it's not a huge leap of faith, I guess.
0: That's the key, right? When when they tell like startups, you know, they, they, what, what's the, how would you describe your company? They inevitably tie it to an already successful company and then just add another describer. So, you know, uh, ride sharing, it's. Uh, well, I, I would think, uh, I don't now I forgot which one came first, but Airbnb, for example, mm. it's like uh, Uber, but it's your apartment,
1: you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an unlicensed bed and breakfast yeah. in your own home. Exactly. Yeah, uh, I, I'm not sure I normally would, except for he is the maker of the show that I was comparing it to. And obviously it's not that much like 99% Invisible because I do not have the ability to make that show or the team of people that have the ability to make that show. Um, and he and I are quite different but the I think if you heard me say that and you hadn't listened to my show you would probably think it was roughly in line with your expectations right
0: right okay. so uh, where did where, where did how where did the idea come from
1: uh, I don't know I can't actually remember a specific time I've always been interested in um, language and linguistics and um, a lot of why is a thing called a thing? Questions come up and answer me this, and we don't do too many of them because the show has to be varied. um And also because a lot of the answers are boring. Uh, <laughs> you can't get around that really. <laughs> Origin obscure, uh, it's no story. um So it's always been a subject that I like to spend a lot of time in. um But since graduating from university, I haven't really had the excuse. Uh, and I'd been kicking around quite a lot of show ideas. I just couldn't afford to make another podcast alongside Answer Me This, but there were lots of podcast ideas over the years that were pretty good show ideas that never happened. Um, And when I had this one, I think it was the first one I'd had that I thought could run and run rather than be somewhat self-limiting or where I felt kind of tired at the prospect of making it, which is (laughs) another... Another sort of self filter I suppose with a lot of people's creative projects, just think I'd like that to exist, but I'd love it not to be me that had to make it exist. You
0: just want to sit in a director's chair and and with the, the, that that cone. not even
1: I just want to be completely <laughs> apart from the process, and someone just bring it to me ready done
0: what's What's interesting is that you get free reign. and mm. um, obviously you can say whatever the hell you want on the show, so I think it was episode four, which was the 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 curse word episode <laughs> oh so
1: now you're drawing back on the swearing
0: and uh, um, i understand
1: the swear word that's about is more offensive in the u.s than it is in the uk
0: it, it is so we'll probably not repeat it he- it's here. still the most <laughs> offensive
1: swear here that's not like a racial slur or something but yeah um, you can be fun with it and but, um so uh, i don't know really how that that episode went down in the u.s
0: I thought it was hilarious. Oh, good. <laughs> I think a lot of I, people I, I,
1: secretly enjoyed it.
0: I absolutely loved it, especially the part where you you start uh, you get into the point where you have to read uh, the Squarespace head and you're like, "On with the fucking show." <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, it's the only episode that I've done of that that's had an explicit tag, whereas all of the answers in this episodes are explicit tagged, um, just for precaution. Um, but uh, I was genuinely interested in in finding an answer to the question that I was asking in that show, and I don't really think that I found it. But I was just interested to know why the, uh, the C-bomb word is ruder than the other words. So I think if it had just been me going, oh, I'm just going to swear for 10 minutes, <laughs> then that is not something that I should have had free reign to do.
0: It was the classiest, most explicit podcast episode I've ever heard.
1: Thumbs up to me. <laughs> The best, the, the,
0: the best part is the the, the editing of a, the collection of curse words into a song.
1: That's the first thing of the whole Illusionist that I cut together. Um, the very first thing I worked on. But I knew obviously it could not be the first thing I released because that would be a stall that I did not want to stand behind uh, when stating my intent with the show. Um, but it did feel like the first couple of shows I found really difficult uh, because I didn't know what I was doing and I didn't know what the show was until I was making it and I couldn't find out except for making it. So it felt very pressurized and, and like I was failing. But that one, that was just quite an easy sell, I think, to the listeners. And uh, it was quite quite an easy journey to go on in my brain. Um, and so it felt like that was the pivot where I started to get more comfortable with making the show.
0: Do you feel like you there, there was pressure on your part? Are you were holding yourself up to a higher standard?
1: Yes. I think because the listeners have expectations when you start a podcast like answer me this when well obviously a few are li- people listening to podcasts in 2007 um but when you're people with no profile and um no one knows who you are you have the luxury of just getting better at it with no one paying attention and then you can tell them about it once you're quite comfortable with it and with this i knew that people would be paying attention and really i i don't tend to listen to shows until they've been going for quite a while um a few months at least and I kind of wish that no one had listened to it for a few months. Although that would not have pleased the sponsors. So there was a dual objective of having to get people to act on the sponsorship so the show could pay for itself. But um, yeah, there was. I felt like it had to be good and I knew that it wouldn't be out of the gate. Um, so that wasn't something I was super enjoying.
0: But there was an aspect of you that knew you had to get those under your belt to so yeah. that you could, you could eventually improve.
1: I just don't really feel like... Uh a lot of people get very obsessed with their first show and they build up to it so much and um, they put too much into it and then once they've done it they're empty and yet they've got to make another one and then another one and, and I don't think the first show is important because I wouldn't have thought we would make well, I think when is this coming out? Uh, In about a week or so Week or so. Yeah. alright well by that point we'll probably have 322 episodes of Answer Me This out And I never would have expected that when we started. I probably expected we would do 10 and that felt like a lot. Um, So 322 just seems like a stupid number. Um, (laughs) But it did mean that I knew the first ones were insignificant in the lifespan of a show. If you're going to carry on making a show, you have to know that you can make lots of it. Um, Whereas if your first one is the best one and then you're kind of running out of ideas, then I think that is a problem. So just uh, take that problem away by making your first show quite bad, <laughs> and then you can see an arc of improvement.
0: <laughs> Make it intentionally bad.
1: Oh yeah, that works.
0: Was the but so at the at, so probably if my math is going to be horrible here. But by the time you started The Illusionist, you had at least three hundred episodes of Answer Me This. Yes, in the can, yes. and so was was there something that you learned there that you want to say, well, we've got to make sure we don't do this and we uh, we should do this because this has worked or you were just trying, or you went at at the illusionist with a completely open mindset.
1: Um, It was a very different show to making Answer Me This because I'd never made, I'd never made something all by myself um, for a start. So Answer Me This is collaborative. We figured out what the show was together and we both work on the post production. So we can, uh, when I'm doing the first edit, I can't make all of the decisions about it, so I send quite a rough cut to Ollie, and then he'll come back and he will have chopped out a lot more. Um, and so that's really useful. But with this show, I was working alone, so I had to become my own Ollie and figure out what was needed in it, and and try and listen to it with with fresh ears, even if I'd been working on it for ages and just really needed not to listen to it anymore. Um, and I don't, I hadn't any experience in kind of building a narrative like that and just talking on my own on mic and to try and make that sound natural rather than just like I was bleating a script, which is not fun to listen to when people sound like they're too scripted. I think it's yeah. harder to, to really feel like it's getting into your brain.
0: Were, were there people that you ad- admired that we're doing something similar that you could use as a touchstone
1: no everyone's worse than me (laughs) (laughs) uh no i tend not to really listen to that much stuff that is similar to what i can do because i want to escape what i can do and i really admire stuff that other people do because i'm thinking god i could never do that i wouldn't have the first idea um and i don't listen to shows about language With answering this, I don't listen to comedy shows or question answering shows because I've kind of had enough of that working on my own show to do that in my leisure time. and But the illusionist is a bit different. I don't listen to language shows because I don't want to absorb what they're saying and then later inadvertently plagiarise it. So if there's overlap, it's okay if it's coincidence, I think. But I I wanted to avoid that situation. So I'm actually very under-informed about the subject area that I work in. That's
0: perfect. You come at it with a fresh...
1: You do, but I could be a real ignoramus and not realize that the market, there are like a hundred thousand shows that are exactly the same. And I'm, <laughs> I'm an idiot for not realizing. So I think maybe people should be a bit more um, uh, sensible about it. But that's well, my I, method. I,
0: I, I've told, I've told people that you could take five podcasters, give them the same topic, the same concept, um, and then let them have at it. And you'd come up with five completely different podcast because of your yeah. personality.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And even um earlier this year I went and um recorded with Dan Pashman who makes The Sporkful. Um cuz I was going to be in New York and um I thought I'm just going to get in touch with the podcasters that I like and see if they'll hang out with me. And I was like maybe I could I like Dan Pashman, maybe I could think of a show to get him to be on and then it would not seem so creepy and weird. <laughs> and um so I just had this idea to do a show about the semantics of brunch. And so we met for brunch at this diner in um, uh, downtown Manhattan. Uh And um, so he had a bunch of questions for me as well, because I didn't know at the time that he's a huge linguistic pedant, which is uh, great for my purposes, because he has strong opinions about brunch. But we also talked about a bunch of other things. But his episode came out a while before mine. um, And then when people heard mine, they're like, wow, it's like the Rashomon of podcasts, because he's taken some of the brunch material, but done a different thing than you've done with it. Um, so I'm quite interested in doing more stuff like that. And there are some collaborative episodes that I've got coming up with other Radiotopians that I think will be really fun uh, to see what happens.
0: How helpful has the Radiotopia clan been um, for bouncing ideas off of or just when, when you you hit a wall and um, you, you probably need help with something that they, they might have come across in the past?
1: Yeah, well, the sad thing is that we're also geographically separated. Um, the first time we were all together in a room was June, and I'd met a few of them before. Um, but um, it really felt great to be in the same place as them. It's the first time in my whole life where I thought, God, I wish I had an office and I could go into the office every day and see the same people. I've never thought that. I've worked on my own in my house for, for most of my adult life. Um, and so I'd love to be able to do that more. And um, and it felt like that door was kind of opened when we all really did meet each other. And I do listen to all of the shows, um, but there's not necessarily that much overlap in our experiences. But it is nice to know people that are doing the same thing, even if they do it really differently, because it was so lonely making on to me this. I didn't know other podcasters for years and we were just making it up as we went along and self-teaching. And it's not necessarily the most efficient way. And it's nice to have people around you and a bit of a community. And I've been trying to build a bit of a community in london and have free meetups and stuff so people who are starting now they can ask me things that are slightly hard to google or or just feel like yes they they can go ahead and do it or if they've got like a format that is way too complicated for them to actually be able to realize with the resources that they've got they can talk it out and maybe find a solution that that is practical because that's another thing like there was there's sort of the difference between people who will start a podcast and it's rubbish because they haven't really got an idea at all and the people have too many ideas and they're just hampered by the fact that they're too creative and too ambitious and therefore they can't practically do it but still it's better to have a crazy big idea isn't it than none that's true i don't know how i got there sorry harry
0: <laughs> no no worries there's there's a there's a podcasting conference uh, new new media europe coming up it's uh, by yeah. the folks who, there's a, there's a voiceover company called Mo- Music Radio Creative, and the founders of that, uh, Mike and Isabella Russell, they're, they're holding a mm. conference. So it's sort of the equivalent of what recently happened here with Podcast Movement and with New Media uh, Expo. Yeah, so.
1: but I don't know anyone who's going to that. I think that's more business-focused.
0: Yeah, I think for the most part it is, but uh, you could go make some waves in, on the storytelling front.
1: Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't got time to leave the house. I haven't really had many much contact with them. I don't. I don't know them.
0: But so when you do make it out to LA, you you have an open invitation for some tea, I guess. Oh,
1: brilliant! <laughs> Whereabouts are you?
0: Uh, it's close to downtown Silver Lake.
1: Cool. I, I'd I'd love to go, back. well, I am always trying to find excuses to uh, go to the USA. My husband and I uh, go a lot to do road trips. Okay. Um, so we try and find a, a work pretext to be there, and then you think, well, once we're here. You might as well go on a road trip.
0: I imagine you'd naturally have to reach out to Rishikesh, her way, and uh, Leah Tao. Yeah.
1: First,
0: first before me, but. Uh,
1: no, I it's can, not. That's I, not our hierarchy. We can I we can, can all go can, to a Mortified <laughs> show together or something.
0: I can tag along.
1: Hang out with the Max Von people.
0: And um, what's his name? Nate DeMeo. Yes. Of, uh, he is, he's having an event here in September.
1: Yeah, what is it? Is it a live show or? It's a
0: live show, and I think it's at a cemetery.
1: So, of there's... course. <laughs> Such a goth, isn't he?
0: No, there's a cemetery where they do movie screenings, I think, so it's it's sort of common for them to have events there. But Is that
1: the Hollywood a... Forever Cemetery?
0: I'm not sure. I haven't been to one yet. I,
1: I often I... read about these things, and people talking about eating cheese off gravestones and stuff. <laughs> in a nice way um but I, I, how do you feel about live podcast events is it kind of disenchanting to see these people who have an identity in your head through their voice only and then suddenly they're just got a normal corporeal existence in front of you
0: <laughs> well i'm usually not that i'm not disappointed at all because i've i like because obviously because of Skype i get to to see the majority of my guests which is what makes me happy and allows me to connect more with them so and, and and then I get a big hug when I see them in person. So Because they, yeah, they, they recognize me and I recognize them.
1: We're just so grateful to see another human being. <laughs> so so alone.
0: I'm on the, on the, the lonely desert of uh, podcasting, the oasis of, uh, of a fellow podcaster.
1: Yeah, it is weird because a lot of my friends are like, well, I know how you are because I've listened to your show. And I'm like, well, that's not necessarily an accurate reflection of what's been going on with me. But then the accurate reflection is just spending like, 12 hours a day staring at a grey edit screen which doesn't make for a good anecdote I'm sorry I brought it up
0: <laughs> I'm assuming you enjoy more the the speaking on the microphone part than the editing part.
1: Uh, actually if it's have you just broken wind Martin? You're <laughs> an absolute disgrace No it's not the chair, I'm pretty sure that was human um, Actually if it's someone else's show then speaking on a mic is a, a delight. If it's mine i do prefer the edit because it's nicer to have a finite amount of stuff that you just have to clean up and make as good as you can than it is to create the stuff in the first place so i find actually just most of the creative stuff happens in the edit which doesn't mean it's not a chore but for me it's a really necessary part of putting together a show
0: i'm trying to uh, um i wonder if the 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 comedy write, the comedy writing that you did in the past, did that lead to actual performing as well?
1: It's been a weird path trying to remember now. I think the performing led to some of the writing jobs and then there was kind of a big gap. And then the podcast led me back to writing jobs because producers were fans of the podcast and wanted to give me work. And now... <laughs> Bless you, Martin. Um, <laughs> now I mainly care for my sick husband. <laughs> um, and now uh, I get speaking jobs on the grounds of being a professional speaker for a long time. So the kind of radio comedy shows that I was writing for I'm now on. And I was quite bad at writing for them, I think. Um, and it's a lot easier being on them cause you just turn up and say things. <laughs> an easy is, job.
0: It's is comedy writing a um, easy to learn?
1: Um I haven't learned it so I don't know. Um I think it you kind how of does, have how,
0: to, how does how does one start writing comedy then?
1: Yeah. Uh I don't know. I would say that doing a podcast is a really good way because you have to um you don't necessarily have to do it in front of an audience which is terrifying for some um and you can listen back to it and hone it that way. I think editing yourself is such a valuable part of getting better at at anything, not just comedy and to, but with comedy to learn timing and, and pace. And if you're working with other people, you can all, you can all concentrate more on what each view is like rather than just try to be funny in the moment. Um, But writing for other people's shows is sort of different depending on the show. So there's one show that I worked on quite a lot where, it was just like think of the most base crude joke you can and then make it baser and cruder and then you're done
0: <laughs> isn't what's the what's the there was a movie about this whole like the worst the most crudest joke ever
1: oh the aristocrats aristocrats yes, i yes, haven't yes. seen that but uh, it does sound like an interesting art piece as well as <laughs> an interesting joke
0: so how much of the comedy influence stemmed from your older brother
1: Oh, a lot. And that was partly um, because of being the youngest in a household with him. And our eldest brother is really funny as well. Uh, our eldest, my eldest brother's called Rick and he works for Microsoft. And then middle child is Andy, who makes the bugle and is a stand up. Um, and then I came along later as an accident, as aforementioned. So when you're younger than everyone else in the house by quite a way, and several of the people in that house are really funny, uh, no one cares what you have to say. And I was just sitting there thinking, oh, God, I've got nothing. Listen to them with all their jokes and anecdotes. Oh, oh what have I got? Um, so it does make you raise your game. And also I was a year young in school and a really obvious target for bullying because it was hideous and bespectacled and 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 young and brainy. And it didn't really happen. And I think a lot of that was because of the quips. Um, so I'd say those are two very valuable ingredients for comedy, being uh (laughs) being a mistake baby (laughs) and uh being um uh gross at school then you're on to a winner later
0: yeah it's uh it provides fantastic fodder for your biopic i
1: think i don't i don't i I think my biopic would be the most boring thing because i've had a very uneventful life but i think it just teaches you timing and editing um like I was uh, in June when I was over in um, California for this uh, Radiotopia meeting, I was, uh, I was uh, Roman was like he was worrying over a joke in a script, and I was like, I think that joke could be a better joke, and he's like, What's a better joke? And I was like, Think of if you were like with a bunch of people at a party and one of them told your joke, what would be the joke you would then tell? Because you had to, because someone had taken your joke. Or ideally, what would be the joke that you told after that joke? And he's like, ah. So it's just creating that editing process in yourself where you throw out the most obvious options and uh, go to at least the third option. Uh, but not so many options that no one can understand what you're on about anymore. That's too many. So it sounds like you've
0: studied it enough no. to know.
1: <laughs> this is just This is just uh, street smarts. Okay. I, I say so street. Those... I'm never out on the street. <laughs>
0: With street being a relative term.
1: Yeah. This is just me on my own in my house smarts. Um, but it's it's weird. I think just because of working on my own this year, I've had to become a lot more conscious of whatever it is I do. Because it's nice not to have to really think about that and just leave it to the listener to decide whether that is a the thing they want or not. And um, so I was like, right, well, what what is it that makes the way that you talk distinctive or or what is the content of it so i suppose that's why i started thinking about these things but generally i like to not really dwell and uh, i find myself quite boring so i, I don't really no, like to think I about think... what makes me me
0: and self-deprecating
1: no it's not it's not that i'm <laughs> like i'm not saying i'm boring in chat i'm saying as a subject matter i'm stuck with me all the time and so i'd rather uh, think and talk about other things
0: but i think it's that aspect of your personality that doesn't take things too seriously that comes across in the show and is i imagine what uh what makes you endearing to the listener
1: uh yeah i think not taking things too seriously i don't know whether that's a personality flaw and whether if something really terrible happened i'd be like hey clowning um but with something like linguistics i know a lot of people who review it on itunes for instance say i didn't think i was interested in this topic um and look if i describe it to you like this you'll think you aren't either but you might be um so that's good in a way. I think with answering me this as well though that the approach deliberate or not has just always been to treat low culture in quite a high way and vice versa. And I guess the illusion is similar. Like if I have a very trivial subject I feel like I have to dress it up with something a bit over academic. And then if I've got something that is quite dry I have to have to kind of mess around a bit. But some of the shows have been a bit more serious and that's been that's been pleasing to me because uh, I can just sit back and let them happen rather than interrupting all the time.
0: Well, they can they, they it seems like they all exist within their own they had their own mini story arc and yeah. they don't they don't you don't necessarily need to have a common thread that goes through everything and you sort of I imagine once you're done with all the tape you figure out what type of story you can tell about those particular words and phrases for that episode.
1: Yeah, exactly. I like to go into the interview not knowing too much about what's going to happen, not having a fixed idea about what I want them to say so I can then put it into a show I've already decided. I like to see what they want to say and then think, well, where could this go? So it's, it's sometimes quite hard to decide that because they'll say a lot of interesting things. Like Everyone I've interviewed has been really terrific and therefore there are too many options, which is a nice situation. Um, so then I just have to try and make what I think will be the, the most prudent decision, I guess. Hopefully. <laughs> It's, um it's, but yeah uh, it's they do. A, it's been working so far good well you're very sweet but my uh friend um matthew pretty early on in the show's run he was like I thought, are all the titles of the shows going to add up into a message and i thought damn i wish i had planned that that would have been so cool <laughs> like when um i think there were some magazines where you get a monthly magazine and if you line them all up on the shelf there'll be a word on each spine and you didn't realize really with the individual ones weren't they're all together they said a thing
0: I think I've seen that, yeah.
1: Oh, it's too late Too late for the illusionist now, unless I backwards engineer a lot of conjunctions or something.
0: Or you put it out to your raving fans and say, there is a hidden message there, and see yes. if you guys can figure it out.
1: That's what I want to encourage. <laughs> Madness.
0: <laughs> Which is in no way different than your live boggle set.
1: Uh, excuse you for <laughs> suggesting that anything other than the perfectly legitimate thing to make and own
0: But so did I hear correctly in I think uh, in episode 5 that you're a Latin teacher
1: no oh well I did um, I've had many jobs and I think this was about 2004 I was tutoring a young boy in Latin and I'm not a natural teacher at all I'm really bad at it and he did not also not want to learn Latin he was being forced to do it so really we didn't do very much um and uh but it was it was hard to me to transmit the natural enthusiasm i had felt for dead languages as a child younger than him to a rational 13 year old um and i quite like the fact that if if the illusionist now is educational it's still on an opt-in basis no one's being made to listen to it and they can kind of decide whether they're interested or not and they can decide quite a lot as well about what i'm talking about because the shows are so short hopefully that leaves them something to go off and think about that i i haven't said this is what you must think i don't want to tell people what to think no. that's their own job
0: there's another podcast for that
1: yes tell me which ones <laughs>
0: <laughs> the what other dead languages are you are you a fan of
1: um well i studied ancient greek at school but i wasn't okay. as good at it as latin it's a bit more of a tricky one to pick up um, and I did a lot of my degree was in old and middle English. Um, so old English is stuff that happened between about 500 and, um, 800. And, um, I was very into that. Um, and it, I, I don't know I, I don't know why I think it's just cause I can actually see quite clearly how they link to the present and also cause you don't have to speak them, which means it's a lot easier to learn them because learning how to speak a language is much more challenging
0: But if you work in a renaissance fair, then that might come in handy. I
1: I feel feel like if I ever went to one of those, and mercifully they don't have them here, um, I would just feel almost a physical pain at how excruciating the experience was. But maybe they're wonderful and I'm denying myself. But things where people are like cosplay things and things where people are in role playing that, not really my shtick.
0: Is that, that said, that's a that's that's a that's a, that's an, a, a US thing, as what as what you're telling me.
1: Um, the Renaissance fairs, yes, they are a US thing. I think because things here are old anyway. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if your house is six hundred years old, you don't need to go on about it. Um, but I did go to a conference a couple of weeks ago. I was doing a talk at one where people were wearing spectacular costumes. Not Renaissance ones; more kind of science fiction and. Quite a lot of people were dressed as characters from Adventure Time, which was cute. And uh, I was impressed by the costuming and the fact that they got to assume these identities. But that is something I can't even go to costume parties, really. I'd always rather stay home as my costume of choice.
0: Was it uh, Comic-Con?
1: No, it wasn't. It was something okay. called Nine Worlds Geek Fest, um, which is a lovely event. So I, I do recommend it if uh, that is your thing.
0: Where, but, where was that held at?
1: It was near Heathrow Airport in London. Okay. Uh, but if you're into science fiction or or um actually they had a lot of interesting panels about kind of gender in comic books and and stuff like that and the manual for how you're supposed to behave when you're there was really interesting to me because they had different colored lanyards for so there was like i think blue if you were okay with people going up and talking to you and um yellow was like do not talk to me unless i initiate contact and do not take a photo of me and And in the book, there was instructions about, like, suggestions for gender non-specific pronouns. And so it was very progressive. I was really impressed by it.
0: Wow. Sounds like they've they've obviously given it some thought.
1: Yeah. I think they wanted to lead in thought and hopefully other conferences of similar nature would uh, follow.
0: So maybe we can do a podcasting conference where... We have lanyards as well, with different rules and regulations about. Do not ask yes. me for in- to be on your show. <laughs>
1: <laughs> do not ask me about cereal. <laughs> Sarah Koenig would wear like fifteen of those lanyards.
0: <laughs> she was. I did see her speak at uh, Podcast Movement. It was entertaining.
1: Intentionally
0: and uh yes i would i would say so
1: i think uh, it must have been a very strange year for her just being someone who's worked diligently for such a long time and then suddenly she's sort of a celebrity she's if she's a journalist she's probably like i don't Uh, yeah i just want to work leave me alone (laughs) stop asking me things
0: and she showed the her her basement setup and uh, she's showing herself under a blanket over the microphone to make sure she gets like the best quality sound and
1: Uh, oh that's how professionals do it i need to start putting a blanket on my head (laughs)
0: Or some some throw pillows.
1: Yeah, do you think that would help me wearing a throw pillow on my head? <laughs> it certainly think... look fun.
0: <laughs> or when Martin gets out of hand, you could just throw it at him.
1: Yeah, it's probably not firm enough to make significant wound.
0: <laughs> but yeah, that that fascination with cosplay, uh, we do it here even with our Civil War reenactments, which I completely do not understand. Yeah, we
1: have a lot of battle reenactment societies as well. I do, okay. Yeah, but I've not attended. Well, women aren't really allowed to do anything at them because that's considered unorthodox for historical battle.
0: The other last question on the language was, uh, which version of English is being spoken on Game of Thrones?
1: I don't watch it, so I don't know. There's too much cosplay in Game of Thrones. (laughs) Also, I don't have HBO.
0: So you must get tired of people asking you about the series.
1: Well, that hasn't happened before. Actually, answer me this. Sometimes that does happen, but uh, that's all right. It's better than them asking about their bowel movements, which is one of the most common question topics. So when you see that in the subject line, she's like, oh, no.
0: There's, at some point, you run out of creative ways to answer that question.
1: Well, we would rather not answer that question at all. I think we've always been suspicious that the questions would run out. We'd, we would have answered everything or said everything we had to say because a lot of questions we get are just permutations on something we've answered before and we don't want to repeat ourselves because you can hear old podcasts but they're still coming people are still very imaginative and their personal lives as well i suppose are open to endless uh uh deviant uh, twists that they can uh surrender to us for our amusement
0: the the other experiment that you tried was spoken.am
1: Yeah, they just shut down.
0: I noticed that. I was going to ask you what happened.
1: (laughs) Um, I think it is um, just quite a common thing with with a lot of startups. Generally, it's hard to make that leap into being big enough to be financially sustainable. But in order to become big, you already have to be financially sustainable. So I think that hampers just a lot of enterprises of all kinds. And I think in anything podcast related, it's so hard to make it financially viable at all. So like everyone's like, why is there not an app that really competes with i with iTunes and with Apple's native app? And it's like, because where's the money going to come from if you build that and then have to maintain it? And um, and I think that was the case with them. Like for f- they they had so many ideas, and um, I think as well they were just really into podcasts. They weren't the, the last year or so, a lot of things have been springing up, and some of them are just obvious people taking advantage of the podcast gold rush. And they're on my list. And these people are not on my list. They're the good guys. So I feel like other things could come out of this because they have so many thoughts that are intelligent thoughts about it. And they also have the software background because one of them used to work at SoundCloud. Um, but I think it was just hard to push it f- further yet.
0: So for the benefit of the listener, I, it was an opportunity to live chat uh, while listening or uh, immediately having... Ha- after having listened to your most recent episode, yeah. and you could break out pieces of the conversation or 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 have people talk about certain topics on the episode, I I, I had fun. It was a little hard to follow some of the threads, but I thought yes. the, the the idea of it was really fascinating, and I'm surprised um, it didn't pick up. I, I think it may it might just be a case of being too early. It might be the Newton of uh, mm. podcast chat.
1: Yeah, I think it wasn't that it failed because they'd only done two of those they did one with me and one with benjamin walker after insta surfs some theory of everything um i think it was just the idea of having to do that regularly they probably thought oh god this is going to take so much more time and resources than we have but yeah i think it is a cool idea it was really interesting to get to do it because although um with social media there's some interaction with the listeners and with answer me this we invite interaction with them it still feels like two monologues heading at each other it's not a dialogue and so it was really cool to to be able to properly respond to listeners opinions and also for them to um kind of meet each other in this virtual space it's like a reddit ama but a nicer environment than reddit um that was the idea of spoken so hopefully there'll be something like that where it creates more human connections in this thing, which is quite an isolating, isolated medium, which is one of the strengths as well. Like you can reach people who are nowhere geographically near you. And I think that's really great. But um, it's uh, the way that people who like podcasts at the moment f- make that connection with each other is quite still quite haphazard and analogue, isn't it? Like we've had some people say, oh, I saw someone else on the train who was listening to your show. And I kind of gave them a secret thumbs up. <laughs> But that's not a system.
0: <laughs> yeah, you can't uh replicate that.
1: Not on a big scale.
0: That's not scalable, no. Well I I just I thought it was fascinating because uh we hadn't spoken yet and just you know, just emailed. So I'm um, here I am like live chatting with you, hey, Helen, I'm chatting with Helen Zaltzman and then Vanessa Lowe comes on and she yeah. makes a comment and, and I was like, Oh, that's cool too. <laughs>
1: Yeah, it's and just I, a big I, chatting I, party. Yeah,
0: and it was it was everyone's accessible, and I was like, wow. Okay. And then obviously I go to see if I could set up my podcast, and and then I think it's curated, so it's just probably a good idea because you don't want every Tom, Dick, and Harry setting up a, a yeah, a live not, chat, that not that Harry, not yeah, the bad Harry's yeah. So
1: it's a cross fair. Maybe uh maybe they're like that's why we have got to shut it down. <laughs> Keep this guy up. <laughs>
0: It's. I think it'll pop up again in another form, I think, because yeah. I think the, the idea is good.
1: Yeah, exactly. And sometimes it just takes a few iterations to really hit on the thing that is the right thing to be doing. But they'll get there.
0: So what do you, do you ever think about what you would be doing if you weren't podcasting?
1: <laughs> I often think about it with terror, Because <laughs> um, my career has been a complete mess um, up until this year. And being a full time podcaster has been absolutely amazing, and even that though I've got a Radiotopia contract till the end of twenty sixteen. Um, but it's impossible to say what podcasting will be like then. It's things have been happening so fast this year, and different players are entering the space, and different structures. And also, you just think like, what's is the advertising going to continue? Will audience donations continue? Lots of lots of questions that are unanswerable, and. Anyone who tries to answer them, you know that they'll be wrong because it's a year and a half away. Um, so I'm enjoying myself so much, I don't want to ruin it by thinking about whether the future is going to be worse. So hopefully, I can carry on doing this. Um, that would be quite great. But if not, I guess I'll find something else. I don't know. I guess uh, the, the, I really the, don't know. The next Shit. step is. <laughs>
0: i didn't mean to stress you out there <laughs> oh.
1: um, this web of incompetence
0: the well it's good obviously the next step is going to be virtual reality podcast
1: yeah what would that involve <laughs>
0: i'm not sure
1: yeah I, uh, I have my hands full with reality just yeah. on its own it seems like enough
0: or hologram podcasting
1: yeah, save, I like, the, save, I like yeah. the fact there's no visual aspect to worry about. That's when what, it gets
0: complicated. I just had a vision of you as a hologram and your listener saying, save me, Helen Salzman."
1: All right, I'm open to that. If someone else <laughs> builds it, if it's no extra work for me, that could happen anyway.
0: I think uh, if we tried to predict some of the technology that we're using now five years ago, we would have failed miserably.
1: Yes, which is why... Uh, I just think it's, I think being unprepared for the future is actually the intelligent option at this point, rather than deciding something and then being wrong. Um, But when we started Answer Me This, we weren't even on social media because Twitter wasn't really open to the public then. And I hadn't joined Facebook because it was still very new. And so that whole landscape was different as well, like unrecognizably different. We were on MySpace trawling for child listeners when we started (laughs) Answer Me This. I heard that. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> i think the statute of limitations has passed
0: <laughs> you were going into forums and i think you said myspace too you were saying uh My, yeah to,
1: myspace was the main yeah. one um looking for yeah looking for teenagers we thought might like it because uh, we just thought we would like that show when we were teenagers because it wasn't aimed at us People yeah would like it
0: so as you think about uh, the growing the illusionist um what, what do you see as the biggest challenges going forward
1: um, I find it I've always found it very very hard to look ahead um, so aside from the challenges that I think there could be to podcasting in general do you mean um, set those aside for a moment because they're usually like depressing commercial ones <laughs> um, I'm I'm permanently worried that I'm going to run out of ideas <laughs> which is ridiculous because um, there are hundreds of thousands of words in the English language so I'm sure I could find something Um, but every episode, I just think, oh, I've got away with it this time, but I'll probably dry up after the next one. Um, so there's always that fear. Um, and, and also just not being very business minded and and not really being very good at like taking something that I've done and, and maximizing it. I don't know what I should be doing. I would like to do live shows that are different to the recorded show. Um, and I have an idea. I just haven't had time to write it yet and um uh but that's more for fun and to actually be in the same room as some of the listeners for fun um and i don't know if another bigger project came along than just making the shows and putting them out like something where i was actually working on the idea for a bit longer then i'd like to see if i could do that because at the moment i quite like the idea that i can just get the show out and then never have to think about that subject again but maybe i should try and test my brain a bit more by sticking with it are i don't you,
0: know <laughs> are you at the point where listeners are sending you ideas
1: yes even before i started the show they they were doing that and after often i've put out a show they're like here's how i would have done it <laughs> and uh my attitude is is always like well it's a subdom relationship and you get what i give you <laughs> and uh if you like it or you go away um but i think that's quite a common internet thing when people complain they're often like why isn't it like what it's in my brain um but a lot, of their, a lot of their ideas have been really good. And in fact, um, uh, episode seven, which is about Mount Weasels, which are false words put in dictionaries as traps. yeah, th- That was a listener who, who just emailed me going, I'm doing PhD in this subject. I thought you might find it interesting. And I did. And I got her on the show the next week. So um, dreams can come true.
0: <laughs> oh, yeah. I was just, I was going to, I was just, I remembered when we were talking about street smarts. I, that's my, that's my suggestion for episode idea. street smarts yeah just take take that and run with it
1: (laughs) okay street smarts i'll go down to the streets and uh see what kind of smart situations i can get myself into
0: street smarts they're neither street-based nor smart so
1: no and yet somehow both
0: (laughs) um so we'll we'll try to wrap this up somehow with a nice Think, Bo.
1: What, whatever you feel like at this point,
0: like um, a
1: musical finale. I don't know.
0: Yeah, we, we we actually sing a song together as as our outro. Yep is yeah. is there is there someone that's um you admire now or sort of you look up to in in the space or even in a, in a mentor capacity.
1: Um. I'd love a mentor if anyone's offering, uh, but I've never had one. Obviously everyone wants Roman to be their mentor, don't they? Yeah. But he's not got the time. Um but I would just be so fascinated to know how his brain works because uh, he is an inscrutable fellow. Um but um I know I kind of admire anyone who just gets something done even though they didn't have to. Mm. And that is that's a lot of podcasters. Well, um,
0: actually, uh I can say that Roman did say nice things about you in the elevator at Podcast Movement.
1: Oh, really? (laughs) So it wasn't like a Beyonce-Solange situation with the two of you there?
0: (laughs) No, there were cameras running and uh, definitely that did not happen. I I just, random luck, he gave his his keynote. He's waiting by the elevator banks and I just happened to see that he, he... he, the elevator door opens, he goes in. I, of course, follow right after. <laughs> and I say, oh, by the way, I'm going to, I think I'm going to have a chance to interview Helen. Ah, oh, Helen, she's, she's just wonderful. Oh, yeah. dear. She's just, yeah, you're just going to, yeah, that'll be great because she's, yeah, she's just really, really, insert really sweet adjective here, which I forgot. But yeah, he said nice things about you.
1: Oh what a gent. <laughs> um, of course, we'd never pay each other compliments in person. Uh, sometimes I try and sneak one in on Twitter because I know it annoys him when people praise him. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But but um, apparently he quoted me as well in his uh, podcast movement um, thing. Oh, that's
0: right. Oh, uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think, um, uh, I was, was it the one about podcasting is a shit hobby?
1: Yes, it is. <laughs> and no one wants to believe me when I do talks about podcasting. They don't want to hear it. Um, but I feel like it's better to prepare them for the worst and then uh, they're not disappointed when they don't enjoy it that much because it's nope. a shit hobby.
0: I'll just have to find out the hard way.
1: Yeah. Idiot.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Helen, um, thank you so much for your oh, time. Oh, Harry,
1: it's been a pleasure.
0: I really appreciate you. I know it's a bit late there. And uh, thank thank your husband, Martin, for the guest appearance.
1: Yes. Was, uh, from from, from really his l- wind. <laughs>
0: that was really an added bonus to the episode
1: <laughs> yeah well you should uh, you should get him on sometime he'll just do an hour of um of waving in the background and then flatulence i'll,
0: I'll we gold
1: <laughs> actually he has like five podcasts and uh, none of them involve him flatulating is that even the word now it is now it is i've said so, so.
0: Says said the illusionist herself yeah yeah
1: so what's the yeah. best,
0: the so the best place to, for people to track you down
1: uh they can come and um come and hang on twitter okay where i'm helen zaltzman with two z's or z's as you call them in the u.s um yeah. and then there's helenzaltzman.com uh answer me this, and theillusionist.org but now there's google so you don't really have to tell people where to find someone do you not
0: really because if you're really a fan you'll 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 be able to track people down with no problem
1: yeah just don't come to my home address and we'll be cool <laughs>
0: You haven't had any stalkers yet, have you?
1: Uh, no, but uh, our local cheesemonger is a very big podcast fan. He got very excited when uh, I took my mum into the cheese shop um, because he he correctly divined that both Andy and I had been gestated in her. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's one way of putting it.
1: I'm trying. I'm trying to put it delicately.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's about as, as delicate as it gets for the cheese. Yeah, m- cheese, master. which is
1: indelicate. Yeah.
0: Well, have a pleasant evening, and thanks again for your time. I truly appreciate it.
1: No, it's a very kind of you.
0: So, thanks for checking out the show. I think you'll agree that she's really, really funny, engaging, warm, a bunch of other adjectives that I can't think of, which is ironic given the topic matter of her podcast. But I, I really uh, had a fun time speaking to Helen, and I think she's really passionate about what she does. And she 's just someone who is is really witty. I think like I, I enjoy speaking to people who have a comedic background because I try to fancy myself a a closet comedian sometimes and i and I like to see if um, I can be kept on my toes and um, always looking for the opportunity to engage from a comedic perspective. So I think you might have caught some of that during our conversation. So again, support for the show is at podcastjunkies.com and you'll find various links there. Uh, One of the greatest ones you could fill out would be the the one that asks you to rate and review the show. Just go to the iTunes link and then first subscribe and then rate and review the show. If you're interested in signing up for the list, we've got uh, a lot of uh, good information on a semi-regular basis about when new episodes come out. The easiest way you can do that is actually to text Podcast Junkies, to 33444 from your mobile right away, and that'll get you signed up for the list. So thanks again for supporting the show. I'm appreciating the feedback on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram. We're all over the place. I'm sure you can find a place that's to your liking where you can engage. The last thing I'll ask you to do is... um, look for a email or a tweet or a Facebook post or an Instagram post about an upcoming survey we're doing. So we really want to engage with you, the listener and find out more about what makes you tick and what you like and don't like about the show. So when you see that, please respond. I'd really, really appreciate it. We're collecting responses over the next couple of weeks and I'm, I'm going to pour over those like a super mad data scientist and then figure out what I need to tweak to ensure that you guys stay happy. Have a fantastic week, guys, and I'll talk to you next week.